With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming to you from the Exile Brewing Company Studios. Thank you to Exile as well as Heartland Flagpoles and Flags for being sponsors of our podcast this year. And Steve, we'll get your thoughts to start with on Iowa's 21-19 to soul-crushing defeat to Penn State on Saturday night. I exaggerate a little bit. I wouldn't put it in the soul-crushing classification for me personally. That was... Uh, quite an entertaining game on the whole after it all played out um i've talked quite a bit about it but uh people are probably curious to hear your thoughts frankly the game played out almost exactly the way that i thought it would um iowa forced trace mcsorley uh to make throws down the field those intermediate ranges that's not his strength uh james franklin realized this that Iowa was going to force penn state to be patient and so, man, they pounded Saquon Barkley into the ground, both through the air and also on the ground. I don't even know what to say about Saquon Barkley. And I'm not just saying this because they both played at Penn State. But the way that he runs with a lean uh, and, and his physique reminds me so much of Kajana Carter. But it's Kajana Carter with Reggie Bush's moves. It's, that performance on Saturday night was not of this earth. Uh, there, there were. I mean, that was last son of Krypton stuff at times, and 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 Iowa made him work for every yard. I thought Josie Jewell played out of his mind, out of his mind. But uh, the other guy is just on a different astral plane, man. And there's just nothing you can do about that. But I also thought Iowa had a similar player in their own vein. That if they could get into a grinded-out possession-by-possession game, gave them a chance to have their home run hitter uh, deliver a game-winning play that would have changed it. And they got two of them uh, in, in the game, in fact, from Akron Wadley, who really struggled in the first half. I think a lot of that was because Penn State so crowded, so dominated the line of scrimmage, really forced, in, in, in many respects, I thought Penn State's defensive game plan was the what we used to call the uh, Dan McCartney Cyhawk uh, defensive? Yeah, the the Skladani. Yes, although you got the full Skladani with elite level Big Ten athletes, so that made it harder. Um, but uh, and, and Iowa never really adjusted to it until they finally found ways to get the ball to Wadley in space, including a really nice touch pass uh, from Nathan Stanley for for one of those long plays. But it was the game Iowa had to have to win. You know, in many respects, it was much like the Iowa State game for Iowa. 
where Iowa State was the home team that needed the game to look a certain way to pull off the upset, and they got the game to look that way. And Iowa still had, though, their, they had the Saquon Barkley of that game on the field and Akram Wadley. And so their guy made the play to win at the end. And this time it was the other way around. Iowa's the home team trying to pull off the upset. They have to force Penn State. That needs to be played a certain way. They made Penn State play that way. And it just so happened that this time they had the otherworldly player. But then, on, and then at the at the end, he throws a key block that probably even allows McSorley to get that pass off on the very last play of the game. And McSorley throws finally completes that intermediate pass into an exceedingly tight window, literally centimeters from that pass getting deflected there over the middle, ends up being the game-winning touchdown. And the stat sheet would show Penn State was the more impressive team. They dominated had almost 30 first downs, well over 500 yards. But I think I think there's a lot from I don't believe you know, I'm 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 I don't believe in moral victories. I, I think that's an it's a loser's mentality, anti-American sentiment. One of my favorite moments of Hayden Fry's mythology at Iowa was was I think it was his first or second year. They went down and played. I think it was Nebraska or Oklahoma, and played their tails off as a huge underdog. And he went off on the team. Legend has it afterwards and, and said to the press, hey, if anybody in this locker room's happy with that win or happy with that like we won, then they're off my team. That's the right that's that's America. That's the right mentality. All right. But I do think you can gain confidence from a loss if you prove to yourself against quality opposition that you're capable of doing things that you've not yet shown yourself that you can do. And and while, you know, Iowa as a as a home underdog, or, or Iowa as a program that brings its lunch pail, all this you know next man up, whatever the cliche you prefer for your nomenclature happens to be, while that's embedded in the program for guys like Nathan Stanley and some other guys on this team, they've not been that guy yet. They've not been a part of that culture yet. And on Saturday night, they got to be a part of that culture. But I do think for this to be one of those losses, and history shows this. For this to be one of those losses you gain confidence from, you need success immediately after that mm-hmm. to reinforce it. And we'll get into this later in the week. That's a very tricky game that I was going into next in East Lansing. And those teams are known for you know one or two exceptions here or there in the Ferentz D'Antonia era playing slugfests as it is. But we'll talk about that later in the week. But for now, um, just a phenomenal performance with the nation watching. It was the exact game that Iowa needed to have to pull it out. In the end, though, Penn State just made one more play. What is fascinating to me, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but to me it was one of the more impressive defensive performances I can remember by an Iowa team. And they gave up 560-plus total yards in the game, 579 yards. Penn State ran 99 plays to Iowa's... 45 579 in total yards to 273. Iowa actually averaged more yards per play than Penn State is crazy. Well, you need is. to put those you got to put those numbers in perspective. What you just told our audience is that Iowa played a doubleheader on defense. Saturday. No question about it. That's what happened. They played two nine-inning games and Penn State only played one game. That's what you're really saying. Mm-hmm. Penn State with 29 first downs to 11 for Iowa. Listen to how zany this is. Penn State had one, two, 
three, four drives where they ran ten or more plays in the drive and came away with three points or, or zero points on those. They had five drives if you add their field goal drive where they had eleven plays for sixty-six yards. Iowa's defense. This was a Norm Parker put out the fire, bend don't break, classic, and I, I couldn't be any more proud of Iowa's defense in this game. They probably rotated at least seven, if not eight, defensive linemen. A.J. Epinesa had his coming out party on national television in this game. I bet he played 35 snaps, and I think that he'll be in a regular in the rotation going forward. Uh, I think that Amani Hooker played a fantastic game. You already mentioned Josie Jewell. Iowa batted down six or seven balls. They, Josie Jewell made some money Saturday night. Yeah, he did. No doubt about it. I mean that was just a phenomenal defensive effort, and they held. Penn State scored one touchdown in the game in the first fifty-nine minutes and fifty-six seconds of that game. One I can touchdown. I can promise you this: if, if there's it's it's less than five, less than five defenses in college football could face that offense with that kid for ninety-nine plays and give up twenty-one points. Less than five in the entire sport. I don't doubt it. And it'll be really interesting to see if this defense comes away from this game um, and can keep their daubers up and can believe in themselves. And like you mentioned, take away some positives from this. It's, it's easier for, I think, those of us on the outside who aren't playing to do this because we can sit here and look at the game. I sit here, I've watched the game twice now. I watched it live and then I broke it down again today for my film room cut-ups that I've got like 49 clips in that sucker. And that last drive, many of you have it on your DVR. If you watch it, only watch Iowa's defensive line during that last drive. These guys, their tanks were empty. And Josie Jewell made an open field tackle on Saquon Barkley on that last drive to force it to a fourth down. I mean, I, I don't know where their energy, all of it came from. Maybe, maybe it was from the crowd that sounded absolutely scintillating on television. That was one hell of a defensive effort in a game where you gave up 579 yards. Now, the you know, we, we talked about this, Steve, on Thursday. I asked, you know, Penn State came into this game averaging, you know, amongst the fewest plays per game, the fewest plays per drive, low time of possession, and Iowa was among the best in the nation at all those. And in this game, the script was totally flipped. It was Penn State that scored their points on long drives. Mm-hmm. I, Iowa's points in this game. Um, let's see. Iowa's points in this game came on a one-play drive at the end of the first half after uh, Josie Jewell had the interception. I actually called for a pick six, head of the locker room, and regroup in the second half. Almost got it. Um, and then a three-play, seventy-four-yard touchdown that was Akron Wadley's long reception, and a three-play, eighty-yard drive that was capped off by Wadley's long run. I mean, it was Iowa that did to Penn State what Penn State's been doing to other teams scoring on big plays. Iowa didn't have any drives longer than six plays for the entire game. Um, and yet, there they were with a chance to win the game that came down to the last second. It's difficult for some people, I think, to get past the fact you can say something like what I'm about to say in a loss. But that's probably one of the more amazing games I've ever seen Iowa play. I'm not saying it was the cleanest game. There might have been games that were more fun. But the the football purist in me was really satisfied quite a great deal 
And it, a lot of that has to do with watching greatness in Saquon Barkley. I've never seen a player like that maybe ever before. Um, just an amazing football game. And, 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 I, and Kinnick Stadium just looked and sounded fantastic. You're right. Um, everything you said I completely agree with. Um, you know, it's in my nature to see if there's things that to, to critically analyze. I, I thought the one long swing pass or, or run that he had I thought his knee was clearly down. It was. And it was. If you're I, an Iowa coach, you, you you use a timeout there if for nothing else, just to give your defense a blow. I man. wonder if I wonder if they could see it on the far sideline. Yeah, and I don't know that. Okay, I don't I don't know that, but you know that's 25 yards in field position. When you start talking about all the three and outs they had, the short drives, the 11 first downs, we're not just talking that you faced that offense for 99 plays. You were you were losing the field position battle tremendously uh during the course of that time as well so now here's here's where you have to be cautious though it's penn state's first true road game it's the first time they've really as a program gone into a snake pit environment like that with the bullseye on their back because they haven't really had the bullseye on the back their back as a program since prior to the sandusky era and and we've talked we talked all summer about how this was the first time that James Franklin was going to coach a preseason top ten team. All of these are Penn State players that were in elementary school or junior high. I'm sorry, in junior high or high school when the Sandusky scandal was at its peak. Um, so these guys aren't a part of any sort of that culture that's embedded there since they cleaned house. It's sort of all brand new now. So they face this really for the first time. And the, some of the things that Iowa did there aren't replicatable, meaning you can't consistently have 11 first downs in a game no. and plan on winning. Okay? No. You can't, have, you can't the, have third down and 9.3 on average for the game. Exactly. Now, some of this, pardon the expression, is Kinnick magic. Okay. So I think that needs to be factored in as well. That's why I think I, – I really think for Iowa to get juice out of this, it, you need to see some carryover next Saturday in East Lansing. And I think if you get that, then um, I, I agree with what you've been tweeting out the, next, the last 24 hours about how much can be gained by this, and this team's a lot better than, than we thought. But if you don't, then, I, then it could be looked at as, you know, upsets happen – was a tough spot for Penn State. Iowa traditionally plays well at home, particularly as a home underdog, right? I, I just think I think this is this is something. If you want to build momentum off of this, then there needs to be success right. that follows this. I, I don't disagree with you. By the way, um, I I couldn't really tweet this out last night, and I forgot to bring it up in the in the post game podcast. But against Iowa State, Iowa's average third down distance. Iowa was seven of fifteen on third downs against Iowa State. Their average third down distance that game was eight point four. Mm. Uh, Iowa winning that game was re- when when you look at that key statistic is unlikely, uh, given how long their third down attempts were. And so this game was nine point three, so it was another yard. But you're talking, you know, third and eight and third and nine. Pretty much the percentages are pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and against Iowa State, Iowa was seven of fifteen. Uh, against Penn State, 
Iowa's third down conversions were not good. Looking for those real quick here. Third downs, third downs. Why can't I find that? I think it was something like 3 of 11, something along those lines. It just wasn't uh, – yeah, it was exactly 3 of 11. So there you go. And I agree with you. Um, the Michigan State game, you, you definitely want to put a win in the win column after such a tough defeat. And, and the thing is both teams are in a somewhat similar spot. You know, the games weren't – the games, you know, Michigan State against Notre Dame and Iowa-Penn State weren't similar. But the outcomes were, you know, left a bad taste in your mouth. Michigan State had numerous self-inflicted wounds in that game. They put up nearly 500 yards of offense. I think Michigan State's defensive game plan will be very similar to what Penn State did. And as we've talked about this on this podcast ad nauseum over the years, I'm not sure why more teams don't play the way that Penn State does. Maybe it comes down to a you know, a Jim's and Joe's issue. But Michigan State, defensively, um, they have players like that, and they can be aggressive. So they do in their they do in their front. They, I, I, well, I think their defensive line is okay. I don't think the linebackers are that great. Well, you didn't I think Penn State's defense was all that great. Uh, I was talking about Michigan State. I, I know. I'm just saying. Um, I'm just saying though. Before the Michigan, well, Penn State's Penn State defense looks pretty great when um, there you wait two and a half quarters to make it some offensive adjustments. To, <laughs> I to don't disagree all with gap, you there. Zero run blitz every down. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? That looks yeah. pretty great. You know, right um, now you had some drops in there too to, to defend Brian Ference. You were trying to find tight ends and stuff like that in those seams, and guys were just dropping balls. It seemed to me right and left. Maybe I'm three, exaggerating. Yeah, three, three in the first like twenty minutes. Of, yeah, um, so there's some of that, and and I I mean I've been calling for that for every week for ten years. I, I don't know why every team just doesn't play Iowa that way. Now I, I don't think. It's as easy to do that this year with what Wadley presents out of the backfield. And he's not the first Iowa tailback that can catch a ball out of the backfield. But he's the first one since Tavian Banks that can catch one out of the backfield and house you for 50 yards if you miss one angle. He's the first one that can do that. Okay, So that does leave you a little hesitant about overcommitting because you end up in the game that Penn State nearly found itself in, which is Iowa has something they've not had a lot of in the Ference era, and that is a guy in space who can take the top off a of defense, you know. Um, but but I would still take my chances. I mean, if he does that to me in three times in a game, then you know, uh, and I lose, then I didn't do my job getting enough sacks, creating enough disruption on your quarterback playing that way. And I would take my chances rather than, especially if I'm Penn State, you know, if that if that if if, if I'm Penn State, and if I needed 99 plays to score 21 points. If I even run 70 plays, which is a lot, I'm not winning that game. Okay, so that's another reason why you do that is if I was going to try and grind you down, then you try to speed the tempo up by trying to speed them up on offense in order to create more possessions for yourself. And that was sort of their game plan. I thought Penn State had a really good game plan, and Iowa was still able to just sort of hang around and be in the game at the very end. But watching Michigan State, I, I, I don't. Their secondary guys aren't nearly as good as they were at, in the peak of their era. They have a couple nice players in the defensive line, one or two good linebackers. But defensively, I don't think their personnel is as good as it has been. I think Lewerke is an interesting quarterback to me because he's he's got a lot of playmaking ability with his arms and his legs. It's the decision making that really hurt against Notre Dame and was the difference in that game. 
They've got some decent weapons at receiver. LJ Scott's an enigma. I mean, physically, you know, other than Saquon Barkley, you could make the case in terms of just the way he, the way he looks coming off the bus. He's, you know, maybe the next best looking running back in the conference. But he, you know, there was a key play in this game where start, Michigan State starting to come back. They're, they're about to make it a one possession game again, and he's just running into the end zone and gets stripped. That's the third time he's fumbled. He's fumbled in every game this year. You know, and so that's that's kind of where the Michigan State that's kind of a metaphor for where the Michigan State program is at. Even guys who look like what they what Michigan State's best teams in Antonio used to look like just uh, have mental errors and breakdowns. The concern I would have for Iowa about that game though is you're not a team that man on man can physically blow them away. And so te- personnel wise you're going to be very similar. And so your concern if you're Iowa is you don't want to let this be the game where some of those breaks or mistakes that they've been known to make to shoot themselves in the foot start going against you, okay? And so that's the concern that you have if, if you're Iowa. Looking at it from Michigan State's perspective, I would be very concerned about Iowa running the ball downhill against me in that game and not giving Lewerke and that offense, which is kind of hit or miss. I mean, they can throw a pick six and hit a 50-yard gain, depending on the play, but not giving them enough possessions. I, I think it's a fascinating game. Both teams played a night game. Both teams played uh, a night game against a big-name brand with a lot of hitting, a lot of a very physical game. So there won't be any advantage there whatsoever at all. Um, Iowa's already played in a tough road environment, so they've, they've been tested where that's concerned. Uh, Michigan State's two wins are against two MAC teams that, you know, one of them, Bowling Green, is not off to a very good start. The other one, Western Michigan, you know, they're one of the worst uh, offensively imbalanced teams in all of, you know, the FBS. So uh, who knows how good they really are. You know, I... I I don't really know what to think about the game. I do think, though, if, if you want Iowa to win, you want to establish your tempo, your success level right away, because as little as we know about Michigan State's personnel, you have to think psychologically they're fragile. After the season they had last year, the, the meltdowns they had against Notre Dame, that is a team where if you can get an advantage and get some plays against them early on, momentum-wise, you just have to wonder, do they have that D'Antonio resolve we've seen in past years where um, or, or are they going to look a lot like last year's team and say, here we go again? So I, I think the first quarter of this game Saturday um, is going to be very important. Heartland Flagpoles and Flags has flags of various shapes and sizes, banners, windsocks, and more of nearly every team and every sport. That's college, NFL, MLB, NBA, and hockey. If you feel like maybe you're the only Seattle Seahawks fan in your neighborhood, don't worry. They have flags for you as well. Heartland Flags has more than 100 Iowa Hawkeye items from flags to tiki totems, metal signs, luggage tags, and so much more. Let your fandom fly when you shop at Heartland Flags. Free shipping. Seriously, when you shop online, we're talking about free shipping. Your orders will ship for free from Heartland Flags. HeartlandFlags.com is the website. Go check it out. Dace, he's a huge Michigan fan. He's a Detroit Lions fan. Rob Howe is a New York Mets fan. I went to their website. HeartlandFlags.com has it for you. Again, free shipping on all orders online. 
Follow them on Twitter at Heartland Flags. And once again, visit them online at heartlandflags.com. I, th- I think you'll see more of Torin Young and Ivory Kelly Martin in this game, although Wadley had um, a combined 23 touches, which Iowa ran 47 plays, so that's nearly half of them. So I guess you tip your cap there. You know, it, I, I'm not saying that history is, is going to man itself, manifest itself again in this game, but when you look at the history of Iowa against Michigan State, there's a lot of phone booth football that's played. Mm-hmm. Very physical nothing cute we're coming at you you're coming at us and may the toughest team win and that is how I think even with Michigan State some of their better teams Iowa has held their own in this series because what does Iowa's defense run against every day in practice in spring and in camp well they run against an offense that looks somewhat similar to what Michigan State is going to run if Iowa were playing against a spread them out High flying Purdue. Let's say, like, let's say, like a Purdue style offense mm-hmm. uh, or an Indiana style offense this week. I'd probably be a lot more concerned. I'm really glad that they're playing against a team that wants to run more power, that has similar DNA to what they do, because I feel that that's when Iowa's defense is actually at its best. So I think of uh, you know I'm glad that it's going to be probably a slugfest style game this week as opposed to playing against a track meet team. Agreed. And when is Iowa's bye? Is it the following week? After, well, you could say uh, it is, but it's Illinois the following week, and then it's the real bye. Okay. Well, that's, here's why I think that matters because you look at what Sparty has right now. And, you know, I was, I said to someone, I did an interview with somebody for Michigan Podcast, and I said that I was actually more scared of the Purdue game than, than the Michigan State game because of the timing. Because we were going to face Purdue coming off with a team facing a lot of confidence. You look at this stretch that Michigan State has. They've got Notre Dame, Iowa, and then they play us. I mean, those are going to all be three very two very physical games back to back before they then come into the big house. So, you for Iowa having Illinois and then a bye, I think that helps in terms of Saturday night because having to play that style, that physical three weeks in a row. There's just very few. Mm-hmm. The, the, the same list of teams that could probably hold Penn State to 21 points on 99 plays is probably the same small list of teams, John, that could pull that off. Okay, uh, you know, you only you just it, today's college football, you simply can't do that. So, um, I I just don't know what Michigan State is. I don't know what their team will look like, um, where their psyche is at, and again, I just I think it is very important for Iowa to take advantage of that fragile psyche and get off to a first quarter lead. Uh, I, I just, I, I think Michigan state's a team that right night, right now they're at the blackjack table, just saying, hit me, man. And they could hit on 16, they get on 17, you know, and just, and, or this might be the hand they get a 21. I, I think it's a box of chocolates. I really do. I don't, I don't think, I don't, I, I think, I think, I think, I think playing them right now is 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 could, is dangerous to fortuitous because you do not know what they're going to come out with on Saturday. Last thing for this podcast, it, it, it just it, more on on Saquon Barkley's greatness for me. Saquon Barkley right now, four games in, is the leading rusher and 
the leading receiver in the Big Ten Conference. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that. I saw that stat. I mean, I that's just ridiculous. Brain, if I ever seen that in our league, you know, a third of the way through the season, and I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, that. it's just freaking ridiculous. I mean, if it didn't if it didn't happen to my favorite team, I would have loved it more. But it did. I, but I still have to say, I don't know if you remember me talking about the Iowa-Wisconsin game from 2010 in the aftermath. I mean, I was down in the field for that game working for the Big Ten Network. Interviewed Bielema afterwards. And that probably adds to it for me. But that night when I was driving home, I just kind of stopped myself and thought that was one of the most amazing football spectacles I've ever witnessed. There was so much talent on that field that day, and it was they were just throwing haymakers and back and forth. I, I kind of feel similarly about this game and, and watching, being able to watch Saquon Barkley, watch how Iowa's defense, even though it gave up that many yards, just kept answering the bell. How Iowa threw some punches of their own set in the second half late in the game, took that lead. I mean, that one, I, it's an all-timer. It's an all-timer for me. And I know some of you won't have it on your all-time list because Iowa lost, but that was quite uh, quite a spectacle indeed. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Steve and I will be back tomorrow to talk about what went on elsewhere around the Big Ten Conference. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you then.